Swim check one, two. Bike check one, two. Run check one, two. I think we're ready. Let's try this. Welcome to the Try Beginner's Luck podcast, a podcast where we explore the sport of triathlon from a variety of perspectives to help beginner triathletes on their journey. I am your host, Nashonda Shines. Well, welcome to another edition of Try Beginner's Luck. This one is kind of special because Try Beginner's Luck is taking over a monthly team meeting. Um, and I'm excited that they've let us come in. So no limit endurance team. Thank you. We are taking over and this is a live podcast for their normal monthly team meeting. So what will this look like? You know, I just do not know. But what I know for sure is that it will be good. And we're going to hear some amazing stories. I'm going to introduce to you some of the people who you will hear speaking in, in no particular order. I'm just going to name them. And when they come on for the first time, they will give you their name and then we'll keep going. So for this one, you may want to watch the video. For those of you, for those of you who are used to listening only on a podcast, you can go to YouTube and check this out. So you can see people's faces and put a face to a name. And you know, I am overwhelmed with so much joy to be here today. And so without further ado, I want to say one thank you to head coach Maria Simone, because she is the bomb. She's also known as the dot. We reference her quite frequently. So thank you for letting us take over. But I get to welcome in Vince Fonora, Griff Griffin, Clarissa Ramos, John Manzone, Amy Loeb, and Natalie Kelly. And oh, I almost forgot. We can't go without this because she rings all the bells, Megan Bell. So that's welcome everyone to Try Beginner's Luck. As you know, that was a lot of names. So of course I probably messed up someone's, but I hope they forgive me. So hi everybody, welcome. Thank you for having us. Hi. I love hi. it. All the different highs and coming in. So let's just get started. I'm gonna ask, why triathlon? Amy, you're on my screen first. So tell us, why did you choose this sport? Because you have a very interesting story. So if I remember correctly, you are first and first. You've done a lot of major things in your first year of the sport. So tell us why triathlon, and then we'll get into some of the significant accomplishments you've accomplished this year. Um, so very interesting. Actually, it's just about a year anniversary. So Thanksgiving last year, um, very first race, 5K. Um, but why triathlon? Before that, I'd spent a lot of time up in Lake Placid. Um, and I had been there a more than a couple of times during the Ironman or the week leading up to the Ironman. And I just remember seeing these athletes and going, oh my God, look at these animals and <laughs> being so just, I just blown away by them all um, and the vibe. And I also remember very distinctly sitting in a restaurant looking over Mirror Lake and watching the athletes practicing um, their swim and thinking, yeah, that's not going to happen. So um, something clicked. I don't know what gave me the, uh, the courage to try to do this, but I am in love. 
I'll tell you that much. I absolutely love that you're in love at the first go of this. And let me just go back for a second. Everyone that we talked to today is a part of the multi-sport endurance community. So maybe they haven't done a full triathlon yet, but they've done a duathlon or they've done an aqua bike. But we are talking to multi-sport athletes. And what I love about today is we're not only, it might not be their first time doing the sport of multi-sport, but it may be their first time doing some type of long endurance um, run or multi-staged event. And when we get into that, it's going to get quite interesting because it's my first time learning about multiple stage events during multiple days. Hmm, that's already exhausting me. So we got to figure that out. Okay, I want to bring on, um, I think, Megan Bell. Megan, tell us about your first uh, your first time getting into or why endurance sports? Um, I've always been into long distance running. I've been, I did my first 10K, I believe when I was 10, my father had died of a heart attack. And the community had gathered together and organized a 10K in his honor to raise money for heart research. And after that, I was hooked and I've been running my whole entire life. Then during the pandemic, uh, I ran seven days a week and things got a little boring. (laughs) So I switched it up and decided I was going to do an Ironman. Don't ask me why. I just set that as a goal. Um, Couldn't swim, couldn't cycle, but uh, ended up doing the Pan Mass Challenge for it raises money for Dana Farber. A hundred percent of rider raised dollars go to Dana Farber for cancer research treatment. And I have a very young cousin being treated there at the moment. So 200 miles in two days and just thought, bite the bullet and go for it. I don't know. That's, I, there isn't much more to the story. Just decided to go for it. And doing it for a great cause. So thank you for giving back. It's like, giving and yet you receive so much in return and so you don't realize in the process of what you're doing and then you're like whoa whoa I just did 200 miles in two days but I'm also building awareness for others so that they can learn about this beautiful sport and so kudos to you for doing that um Vince Panora. So the easy answer would be to say, I have no idea how I got into it, but um, the long answer will be, I, uh, I never, I was never a runner. I couldn't swim to save my life through high school. I was an ice hockey player and that was about it. Uh, After high school, I became a heavy cigarette smoker. And um, just as I got older, just got out of any sort of fitness. Uh, Fast forward, Back around 2015, I I quit smoking and decided I needed to channel my addiction somewhere else. So I decided to get into any kind of fitness I can get into. I bought a bike. I started riding a little bit. That turned into shoulder surgery, which turned into, hey, let's go do something a little crazy. Um, Let's sign up for a triathlon, having no idea how to swim whatsoever. And um, I went from triathlon to three days after my finishing my first sprint, signing up for an Olympic, doing my first Olympic, 
signing up for a half Ironman, doing my first half Ironman, the very next day signing up for a full. And um, I've been hooked ever since I jumped in, off the boat and into the water that first time. Oh, yeah. So jumping <laughs> off the boat was your first race in New Jersey, perhaps? Yep. Yep. Ah, look at and you. I'm, and I'm deathly afraid of heights, too. So it made it was even more of a bigger whammy jumping off that boat. <laughs> Come on, way to conquer your fears. <laughs> like, you're like, I'm just going to go out and be wild. Let me just jump off the boat into the Atlantic Ocean and I'll swim and survive and escape. I love it. I love, love, love your story because you you transferred one addiction into, I mean, do we have to say it's addict? I mean, what's a better word than addiction for our love for our beloved sport of triathlon? We got to think about that because is it addicting? Mm, it is. It really is. Okay, fine. It's addicting. We are addicted to this amazing sport. And so kudos to you for uh, channeling your... Um, your health addiction into the right way and literally starting with a sprint and then gradually going to the Olympic and then the half and then the full. So we know you have plenty of first stories that you're going to share with us on today. Clarissa Ramos, you're up next, my friend. Why endurance sports? I'll be honest with you. At the time, this was maybe about 11, 12, no, probably more than that, more than 11 years ago, I was living with my grandma. I was looking at the newspaper. And somebody had, was advertising their 5K race. And I was like, oh, what's a 5K race? I was like, oh, you just run. Okay. So I call my sister. I tell her, hey, do you want to do this race? Now, at that time, I, I didn't run. I wasn't a runner. I didn't run at all. Neither did my sister. My sister said, sure, let's sign up. So that week of the race, we decided, okay, let's start running. <laughs> so we did the 5K. The last mile, my sister and I were like dying. We were walking. We're like, what were we thinking? This is crazy. <laughs> we crossed the finish line and we met this group called the Laredo Run Strong. And there were a whole bunch of runners. And we're like, what? Where did these people come from? You know, we didn't know we had runners in Laredo, you know, this tiny little city. And, and so we met them and they're like, well, why don't you join us for the San Antonio Rock and Roll Half Marathon? And we're like, What's a half marathon? And they're like 13.1 miles of running. What? How many miles people run that distance? Are you all crazy? Well, of course, what did we do? We joined that group and we started running with them. As soon as that was over, we said, okay, well, what's next? We want to do a full marathon. <laughs> and from there, I we just we just I just started running. And then I remember. I was at the time I was watching the biggest loser and I, I don't remember the name of the season or anything, but it was during Thanksgiving time where they were showing where the biggest losers now, you know, a few, uh, a few years later, are they still, you know, in shape and everything. And I remember they had showed, I think her name was uh, Tara Costa and she was at the, I think it was the Kona Ironman. And they were showing her doing the swim, the bike and the run. And they were interviewing her. And I said, what is she doing? Why is she doing all of that? That's crazy. And, you know, I didn't know what an Ironman was. I didn't even know what a triathlon was. And, you know, they tell you the distances. And I'm like, what? She swam how many miles? And then she cycled and then she did a marathon. That's impossible. No, that, that, that's just no way. Oh, and she lost X amount of pounds. And I'm like, okay, well, if she can do that, 
then I can do it too. And I was like, well, wait a minute. I don't even know how to swim. I don't even own a bike. <laughs> I just know how to run. <laughs> but clearly you ran into your destiny. And what I'm seeing is this trend with this group. It's like, go big or go home. We don't play games with no, well, <laughs> you're right. Because it's no limits, right? There's no limits to what you can do. And I tell you, you guys, I'm, I'm still on jumping off a boat with the fear of heights and swimming into the Atlantic Ocean. I guess I got to get over that because I'm just like, wow, what, when, where? Anyway, I'm, well, okay, focus. Natalie Kelly, I think I remember seeing the picture of you this year. Tell us about your story and why endurance sports? Um, so I was always a swimmer, like big swimmer, 14 years growing up, I was in club swimming. So but also we did a bit of running in my family as well. Like my sister is a huge runner. So I had the swim and the run down. Well, not down, but I, I was pretty good at it. I was a two flyer back in the day. So I got that open water swim on the lock. But um, my mom actually was like the inspiration to it because she decided before she was going to hit the big 5-0 that she wanted to do a half iron band. And she is the coolest cat around. She did so many half Ironmans. She's done three full Ironmans. Like she is a bad bee, you know? Um, so she, <laughs> she really inspired both me and my sister. Like my sister is not really into the multi-sport yet, but when we saw my mom do her first like full Ironman, we knew in our hearts and our minds that one day we will do it too um, because it was just, she, she's an amazing person and we were really inspired by that. So for me, it was like getting on the bike was the scary part. And I'm not going to lie. I thought I was going to like flip over in traffic and blow it away. But once you get into it and once I got the confidence, I was able to do triathlon myself. What I love is that when I, when your face popped up on the screen, I was like, wait a minute, I've seen your face before, but I remember calling you in at nationals this year uh, in Milwaukee. And I was like, oh, yeah. And yeah. I hear that your mom is on the call too. So we just have to say hey to her <laughs> since she's a bad B. So that, well, I don't even know how to say it. Ma Kelly, come on in and just say hello to us. Hey, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long it was a long day at work. I was tuning in to listen to Natalie. I didn't expect her to say all that about me, but of course, I love you, Nat. <laughs> Sorry, I called you out. Love you. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Oh, see, that's what this and is we, for. And we love Maria. We're both scared of her. <laughs> you know? She makes us better athletes. I think that's touche. Maria is a bad bee as well. And so don't mess with her or her peeps. Okay. Love it. Who do we have less um, on the, Ooh, now this person has a very interesting story. So she got started racing at age 51. What? You, you, you can't tell me there's nothing you can do and it's never too late to do epic things. Griff, welcome in. And tell us why endurance sports. Um, 
So somewhere in my late 40s, a group of women started riding bike and I was the oldest person in the group. So, you know, I'm sucking fumes at the end of the group, but they're a bunch of women. So it's all good. You know, we show up afterwards, go somewhere, drink beer, eat food. It's all good. And at some point, someone said you should do a triathlon. And I was like, well, I don't really know how to swim. Anybody can run. But I signed up for one and learned how to swim. And it was it was really hard because it was a point-to-point swim. And I got out to Lake Michigan and I went, damn, that is a really long swim. And then the water was clear and I was getting motion sickness as I was like swimming because I can see the bottom moving and the waves. I was like, this is bad. And then I get out. We have to run like a half a mile down cement and boardwalk to get to the transition. And then we had to run up this hill to get to transition. And then we did the run and then we finished. And I was like, damn, that was so much fun, even though it was so much work. And the stunning thing for me was that I was kind of good at it. And I sucked. I absolutely sucked at every sport I did in high school. I was a bench-sitting basketball player, worse in track and worse yet in gymnastics. And so my evolution from there was, how could I be good at this if I was so bad in high school? But anyway, I fell in love after that first one. And that's why people have to remind themselves that it's not about where you start or how you start. It's about what you do to get to where you need to be so that you can get to the finish and develop on the journey to who you need to be. And I think that's what triathlon does for so many people is that it exposes who you are as you're developing into the person you want or are becoming. And you always were an athlete. You just needed to find the right sport. And triathlon did that just for you. So shout out to you, Griff, for not stopping and picking it up at 51, despite your, which could have been tumultuous start in high school, you know, when kids are mean and evil, you know, okay, we'll move on from that one. But um, we have Mr. John Manzone. Did I say that right? That's fine. No, it's not. Manzone. Manzone. Let me get that correct, because He's the guy who makes sure everyone is fed. And so you need to put respect on his name. So Mr. John Manzione, welcome to Try Beginner's Luck. Thank you. Good to be here. So tell us about why endurance sports for you. So my wife preceded me in endurance sport, and she introduced me to Maria and the No Limits team as our catering company did some of their holiday parties and really she did a few short distance triathlons and then embarked on a 70.3. And after that, she dared me to get involved. And I was close to 50 pounds heavier at the time. And we had just had a child and needed to make some changes and choices. And that's where it started. So I got a bike like most of us do and, uh, signed up for my first triathlon and that was try the wildwoods an open water swim um in which case a boat beached in the middle of the course prior to the race so it was an interesting first time experience but like maria as of late i just find a lot of joy and comfort 
in the time that I spend running and I had been doing a lot of it and why I'm here tonight is to tell you almost like the anti first time finisher. So you'll get to hear my story about my DNF. Well, I've been told that if you race long enough, you will get a DNF. <laughs> and sometimes if you just try, you might get that DNF, but it's okay. You just can't quit. Yeah. So, and that's what I want everybody to know. And I can't wait so we can hear some more of it. So talking about first time and we've gone through everyone now. So at this point, if you want to share your story, just jump in and we'll just have more of a conversation flow. But what was it like? at your first event, like the very first event that you went to tell us, take us back to your mindset. What was it like if you were scared, the, the emotions, the feels, and how did you um, overcome and prepare for the second time that you did it? I can start. I, I can tell you that um, I have this attitude of what's the worst that can happen, which, which led me to be completely clueless at my first race which was uh, an Olympic distance in Harriman State Park in, in New York. Um, it was my very first open water swim. I had never swam in a wetsuit. And yeah, totally clueless. So I got into the water and completely freaked out and ended up uh, doggy paddling the entire swim, which of course led me to be the last one out of the water. Um, got to my bike, everything knockwood went okay on the bike and the walk run. But, um, I remember a couple of things. One, um, the water was really scary for me and cold. It was like 58, 57 degrees. Um, but I was like, I'm, I'm going to keep going. If, if I'm too late, I'm too late, but I'm going to keep going. But on, when I was finishing the bike, I remember one of the volunteers said to me, you are smiling way too much. You're not working hard enough. And I was like, but I'm happy. Like, this is fantastic. And so um, interesting, Griff, I had the same experience in high school. I really sucked at field hockey and lacrosse. I could always get to where I needed to be, but just never knew what to do with the ball. I couldn't catch it. I couldn't do anything with it. So um, although I wasn't very good in my first triathlon experience, um, it was awesome enough to definitely want to do it again and, and do it better, which I'm still working on. I appreciate that story, Amy, you know, that curiosity, approaching the sport with that curiosity and not caring about the outcome, because a lot of times first timers come in and they just want to be at the top without going through those fields and that's because they have friends perhaps who are doing the sport and so that sets up your expectations a little bit like but coming to the sport like you did with I mean what's the worst that can happen <laughs> yeah you know, and I worst? had an Ironman schedule two months from that so it was uh very eye-opening to understand what had to happen in the in the couple of months following that oh so you had so it was like Olympic, next race, Ironman. Uh, I had a sprint or two in between there. One sprint in between. So you're already built differently because who? Uh, okay. Well, we'll come back to that in terms of why you did one like Olympic, 
then I'm gonna go back and do a sprint. And then I'm gonna just jump all the way to an Ironman. I feel like you're a bad B too, because clearly that's major stuff right there. Well, I did the sprint because I went, holy crap, I have no idea what I'm doing. I better try this again. And I failed the second time also in terms of actually swimming. I doggy paddled the second one also. I didn't actually swim until I went to camp where I met the No Limits team. So there's a little bit of luck involved with with Amy Loeb for sure. Okay. So Amy Loeb, we got to come back to that. All right. Anybody else wants to jump in? So this isn't about triathlon, but it's about the first time that I did a marathon, which was last year. Unlike Amy, I really did have expectations. And the hardest part was that I had performance level expectations for my first marathon. And so even more than the physical training was hard, it was really hard for my coach to get me over the you know, what's the, what's the goal of this thing? Is it to get this performance level or is it to complete the thing? So anyway, that's just a little bit different than Amy and I who have bonded over swimming struggles and uh, not being so great in high school. But, you know, I think that's good for people to hear because you've been doing, you started doing triathlons 12 years prior to doing your first marathon, right? And so in doing that, you know that your body can do endurance sports. And so you probably transfer that that try energy into the marathon energy, which is very different. And thank God for the person we're pointing to, Maria, (laughs) helping to change your mindset about releasing those expectations and just performing. So my question to you was, how was your first marathon experience? Because we have listeners who are probably going to do a marathon at some point or a half marathon. And so tell us about your first marathon experience. You know, I I listened to a bazillion podcasts. And so I, I had heard lots and lots of people bonking on the marathon and you know there were ways to get over that like you were going to absolutely learn how to drink you were absolutely going to learn how to take calories you were going to practice that all the time so so I did so I never got to the place where like I ran out of energy and so so in that way it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be and I I didn't feel like if you do a sprint it's like really hard because you're going really fast this is hard in a different way but it it really was going back and forth between I want to qualify for Boston and the wait I just want to show up at the start line and so you know I spent a lot of time going back and forth doing that and that was hard. That was harder than the than the training. The other piece that was hard about the training was it just seemed bizarre to me that I could like run a marathon if I don't run a marathon in practice. And so we had to have lots of conversations about if you think the people who are doing Ironmans go out and do a whole Ironman before they do an Ironman, you're wrong. And even though I intellectually know that, it, it would still kind of creep in. How am I going to be able to run an, another hour 
be, or another hour and a half beyond what I had trained. But anyway, I, it's true. You can do it if you, you know, believe the coach that of course you can run longer than you think you can. So anyway, that's the short version. I was just thinking that that's when you have to come in and trust the coach. And that's why we have coaches that come in and are able to tell us what to do because they know exactly what to do. And so for those of you who are listening, you're not going to run a marathon before you do your actual marathon. You're not going to do a full, you're not going to do anything full except for the, probably the shorter distances, just because it's easier to just run those before you do the actual race. So trust the coach before you even trust your coach, hire a coach. So that's the first thing, hire a coach, then trust your coach and then do what they say. Bam. All right. Who's next? Who <laughs> wants to share with us? Hey, I have one. Oh, okay. <laughs> you want to go or should I go first? You can go first. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, so my first, I actually didn't have a coach. I did the Olympic distance triathlon when I was 19 years old. I was ill prepared for uh, what was going to occur. I mean, I had like my parents to guide me, but um, I think I got on the bike six times in total before the actual race. And it was a 25 mile bike in it. I, I got in the pool a few times, but I wasn't really worried about that. It was the bike, that was the big thing. And then so I didn't really do too much before it because I was in college and I was like, yeah, I can, I can do an Olympic distance triathlon and I could, but it hurts. There was pin turns with the bike and my bike handling was not good. I almost came to a stop just trying to make a turn. It was really bad. And then the run, I don't do it now, but I walked a good amount of it. I think I was going like, 12 minute miles at one point and my parents were like, she okay? Like looking at the trackers, so worried about me. I didn't really have a good nutrition plan. So getting a coach was very helpful and just planning all of that out and making sure I was going to be better next time. Though the next time I did uh, Olympic distance drive, still didn't have a coach, but that one I got on the bike maybe 10 times instead of five. So it was better. Um, but actually, fun fun thing, since I was the only person in my age group as a 17 to 19, I won my age group with a <laughs> not great time that I look back now, but it was a great experience and hey, I'm still doing it. So it worked out. Got a coach, got my stuff together. <laughs> you showed up and you, and you won. Look at that. <laughs> well, if I finished, I would have won. So. <laughs> Give yourself more credit. I was trying to give yourself. <laughs> You're not trying to help me, Natalie. It's okay. Fine. All right, John, go ahead. You wanted to say something as well. So, yeah. So I started my year, signed up for a half marathon, a 15K, and then a 10 miler. And I figured, I trust my coach implicitly. I figured that if I could do multiple half marathons in training and then to complete the half marathon, the 15K or 10 miler would be easy, right? That all makes sense, doesn't it? No, no, no. Because those people who are doing the 10 miler and the 15K, like I wanted to run the pace they were running. And uh, that just led to not a good time at the end of the race. So, you know, I'm living proof that you have to maintain your pace and race how you train, I guess, is what it comes down to. So 
that's my story there. Listen, that's a whole, that's a whole word. And we need to put a pin in that one because I don't think people realize that when they get into races and they see people going at different speed, it's quite natural. You want to do that. Like that's a natural thing. You want to be able to keep up and you want to be able to go, but yes, that's just, and as you learn, that's just not the thing to do. So if you're listening and you get into a race and you see other people going a pace that may be faster than yours, stick to your race plan because that's going to get you to your successful finish line. So stick to your race plan. Thank you for sharing that, John. I appreciate that. Anybody else want to chime in before we move on to the next question? I would just Um, say just a comment related to what you just said, have a race plan. Facts. (laughs) Very important. (laughs) Have one to stick to. And that's I uh I went to Barcelona this year. I was signed up to do the Ironman, the full. And I'd had a few, I was supposed to do the half in Panama City, and unfortunately, my due to some family issues, wasn't able to do that. Went to Barcelona. My swimming was great, my running was great, my bike was the only one I was concerned about, but I just done the 200 mile ride, so I was feeling confident there. And on the morning of the Ironman, I second guessed myself and said, nope, I'm going to take longer than the hour and 15 minutes that I had been training the swimming. And I put myself in the two hour corral. And I didn't get into the water until 9, 10 a.m. And I don't know if you know, Barcelona goes out, right, out, left, back in. And when I went to make that last turn, the weather had turned and we had five foot waves. And I swam in place for an hour and a half until someone came up on a jet ski and said, uh, you're out, honey. <laughs> and I would not. I'm like, no, just please let me do it longer. <laughs> and they said, no, no, your, your time's up. You're done. So it was a huge lesson for me not to ever second guess what I think I can do. But I'm going back next year. Don't think I'm not. <laughs> it's now me against the Mediterranean Sea. And that's it. You need to wear a shirt that says it's me against the Mediterranean Sea. And I feel like the Mediterranean Sea was a little disrespectful. So I may hit it for you because I don't I don't think that should happen. But I think that's a good lesson. Like knowing that for the season you were going in with the 115, you know, time corral and second guessing yourself totally changed the course of the day. And for whoever is listening, trust you. You know you better than anybody. I mean, in your coach, because they know your times and they know what you can do. But stick to your plan. And I mean, it's easy to second guess yourself, right? Because you want to give yourself that extra time and extra whatever it is that you need. And so I'm really sorry that 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 it happened for you because you go all that way and you want to accomplish what you set out to do. And 
I'm glad that your attitude, and that's why you will be successful is because of your attitude. Like you have a positive attitude, but I can just say, man, that, oh, uh, okay. I, but I um, learned so much from it. Yeah. I, there's one regret. I learned so much from it. it was fantastic. It was still a good experience. Yeah. Nothing, nothing bad about it. And honestly, you can't fail in this sport, right? You only can learn. And I think people need to realize that too. Like when you have your quote unquote DNF, that's not a failure on you. It's a learning opportunity to change your game plan and to make different course corrections and really adjust and strategize with your coach. Again, we're harping on coaching because yeah, some people can do it on their own, but you need that dedicated voice that's not yours to help you and guide you. And so nothing is a failure when you try or nothing beats a failure. So get out there and do it and learn and learn forward, you know, so just keep learning. So shout out to you. I appreciate, um, I appreciate that, Megan. Um, wow. Okay. We've been going for a little bit and this might be a little longer than our normals because we have so many people. Tell us about a fond memory that you've had that really, um, just a fond experience when trying or when doing endurance sports that you have that will motivate one of some of our listeners. I would say for me, um, actually fond memory was just this summer at, at training camp. Um, the farthest I think I've ever swam in open water was 1.2 to maybe mile and a half. Um, we went in on Friday to do our, our one or two loop swim. And I had two loops, which was 2.4 miles. And we did it in a gray overcast semi rainy day. Um, so going out there um, through that first section of that first loop, you couldn't see the turnaround. Um, so I had to stop once or twice just to see kind of gauge where I was. And I did that first loop and something in my head was telling me, you know what? One loop was good. You did it. You know what you're looking at. You see the water. It, it's good. Um, but for some reason I, I stopped, I took a breath or two and I jumped right back in and headed out for my second loop. And while out on my second loop, I realized it was so much easier than the first loop. And it's like, you know what? I started thinking to myself, like, this is this isn't that bad. This is pretty easy to do. I can do it. Um, still not a great swimmer, but I knew I could kind of get done in the time I needed to get it done. in. And by the time I came back in after that second loop, like something just clicked in my head that I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to kill this swim. There's there's just no doubt in my mind, even if it's a great, crappy day, I'll be fine. And for the record, it was a very beautiful day because I happened to be there. And so, yes, you crushed that swim. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, who's up next? Um, I could go. My uh, favorite um, part of the multi-sport triathlons is the swim start. So I know a lot of people are like freaking out at the swim start, but I take it upon myself to make friends. So especially if it's um, in waves. So if it's all girls from my age group, which is I'm like 20 to 24 right now, but I'm about to age up. 
And so actually at the world championships, um, it was like the biggest group of girls I've ever seen because there's not a lot of girls my age that like do this. And so it was really fun. And we were all like talking, laughing, um, just like having a good time getting ready for the race. So many people were smiling, but also getting like into it. And they were playing music. So I befriended uh, some Portuguese girls, did not speak any English. I do not speak any Portuguese, but we were dancing and having a great time at the start. And it was a really neat experience, um, especially because as we were getting into water, the announcers were saying that hey, we are the future of the sport and they probably wouldn't see all this dancing tomorrow with the men. So the swim start is always my favorite. I always make a point of, befriending people and checking them out for the rest of the race to see where they're at. I love it. So you're the person that's talking to everybody at the start of the race when they're just trying to be zen and calm. And here's, here's uh, <laughs> Natalie. Hi guys, how you doing? Well, especially if it. it's like all girls, like we're all like, hey, how's everyone doing? How'd you get into this? And then they just like end up talking. <laughs> you're right. We do end up talking. I was just thinking when you were saying that, I was like, there's really no language barriers when you try. You know, because at the end of the day, you can find some common bond to like talk to them about and uh, it just makes it really cool. Um, Clarissa, I think I want to ask you, what's your fond memory? I feel like you got some stories to tell us. (laughs) (laughs) One of my fondest memories, (laughs) there's just so many. Um, I would have to say the Rocky Raccoon 100 that I did this past February. Well, yes, that was my first ever 100 miler. The first time that I actually had a crew that were my friends. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, there's nothing easy about running a hundred miler. No, there's nothing. Um, and I had trained my crew so well, thanks to Maria. She told me, she gave me the the 100 miler Bible and I created it and I went over it with them, you know, the do's and don'ts, you know, when when to give me food, when to give me water, what to do if I'm I'm negative or what to do if this is happening, you know, uh, to always be positive. And it just seemed, everything just seemed to fall into place. I had my sister running for the, the first, I guess it was miles six, no, no, 50 to 60 with me, the first 10 miles. Then I had my friend Fernando do the next 20 miles. Then I had the last 20 miles with my friend Edis. But they were all so positive. They were like, come on, you can do it. Mishanda, it was cold. The race start was in the low 30s. I was breathing and I, you could just see the, the, the cloud of, of, of frost coming out of my mouth. You know, it wasn't until the day that it got a little bit warmer. Then at night, it went back into the low 30s. I I thought I was prepared with clothing and everything. <laughs> I wasn't. But you know what? What made a difference was my friends, my sister. They were all, you're doing great. Come on, what do you need? You know, I, I'd come into the canopy. They'd help me refuel my water, my food. You know, here comes the, the next pacer. Let's go. You know, so one of them would put music just to keep me distracted. The other one would just start talking to me or they would put YouTube videos of some positive person like deep down inside when I came back uh, when I had finished mile 80 and I still needed 20 more miles I I was already falling asleep 
I was already cold. I wanted to stop, but I never said it out loud. I was thinking it. And when I was in that canopy shaking and they were trying to give me clothes to change into, I did not, I was, I, I couldn't believe they were going to send me out there. I was like, don't they see I'm cold? I'm tired. They're going to send me out there. How could they? And sure enough, they sent me out there. And, and my friend, as I remember, she told me, she goes, no viniste hasta aquí para, 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 in other words you didn't come all the way over here just to stop right here you know and she was right you know I I, I she made me realize okay I, I brought all these people here to come help me meet my goal I didn't come all the way over here just to stop right here at mile 80 I got to keep going so that's the the most memorable thing that I've I've I I I just cherish because to have your friends, you know, try tra travel to go do your race to help you meet your goal, that is something I, I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. I just, you know, who does that? <laughs> yep, that's it. Who you didn't come all this way to stop here, and and I'm glad that that story worked out for you and. Having the right people surround you, as we know, is so important. And so sometimes your friends don't understand what you do. And sometimes you just have to invite them in so they, they can know what you do. And at that time that you invited them into a different experience, and I'm sure inspired them to at some point, perhaps do something, doing something different out of their comfort zone. And so um I know I have a lot of friends who just don't really get it, family that just don't get it. And it's not until you invite them in so that they can see it. They're just like, oh, you guys do hard stuff. Insert another word if you want to. You know, you guys do hard stuff. So I love that story. Thank you for sharing. Um, is there anybody else that wants to share really quickly? Oh, wonderful. There it is. Mm, okay. So let's see this. We've talked about getting into endurance sport. We talked about a fond memory. But what is one thing that you've learned that you can share that will help someone else? And I want everyone to answer. And when you answer, say your name, because we haven't been doing that, but I'm learning too. So <laughs> I'm trying as well here. So when you come on, tell us one thing you've learned that will make the difference for someone else that you can share from your time of racing in general. So I guess for me, I, I think I kind of learned two things. Um, you and Amy said it earlier. Um, you need to have a plan. If you don't have a plan, if you don't have a game plan on how you're going to attack the event, you, you, you could finish, you can get it done, but it may suck. It may be hard and you may not have fun. Um, I can tell you the first sprint Olympic and half that I did, I didn't have a real plan. Um, I thought I had a plan, but it definitely was not a full plan. And it was just kind of an idea. And it wasn't until, um, 
and actually I had signed up for Ironman Lake Placid as my first Ironman back in 2019 to do in 2020 and was not able to do it until this this past year, uh, this past July since due to COVID. So it wasn't until going there that I said, you know what, I, I need to get myself a coach. I need to work with no limits um, and just kind of take care of it that way. And it wasn't until I started working with Maria and Zach that I had a plan in place, a training plan, an actual plan for race day. And it really made a huge difference on kind of going at it yourself and knowing what to do and just having somebody to springboard off of. Um, so that's my one big thing that I learned was have a plan of attack. The other thing I learned just this past September was um, you have to have fun doing it. If you're not having fun, I mean, it's one, we all know that there's going to be days that suck. You're going to have to do the training that you may not want to do, but if you're really not having fun and enjoying yourself, then maybe you need to pivot or find a different um, distance that might work for you. Kind of solid advice. I like that. Um, Lisa, sorry. Um, <laughs> Megan. Um, I think the number one thing I learned was very similar to what Vince just said. I bought an online program that I followed last year to go to Barcelona and I couldn't follow that completely and I didn't really have any backup, but, um, I learned so many great lessons this year that I, I just don't think it was a terrible thing. I've learned how to take my bike apart and put it back together myself because I paid the $300 to have the company that Iron Man recommends to do it for you. And they of course didn't do it and left my bike and a lot of other bikes on the road in Kalea at 11 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. So don't use FBR if you go to Europe, everyone. <laughs> That's a very big lesson. Um, I don't like hotels. I like an Airbnb where I can control my own food, my own diet, when I'm allowed to have coffee, when I'm not. We were at a hotel in Barcelona where you had to pay for breakfast, but if you went down to get a cup of coffee, you weren't allowed to take the cup of coffee out of the dining room. That doesn't really work for me. Um, but those are my issues, not saying they were in the wrong, but I learned a lot about myself and about the sport in general. And I might not be the easiest person <laughs> and it might be me and not everyone else, <laughs> but I'll, you know, you just have to go with the flow with that one. <laughs> I just have to say, I agree with that. Like those lessons that you learn about yourself when you're traveling, especially traveling internationally, you learn quickly about the things that you like and your little idiosyncrasies that for the longest time it was everyone else. And then you're like, oh it's my me. goodness, it's, me. <laughs> it's all me. Just so you know, it's all me. No, I think some of them are... I've been lucky enough to travel quite a lot in my life. I, they put in some strict rules in some of these hotels in 
during Iron Man times, which I just, you know, we had an issue. I had an issue in my hotel. That's all it was. I, the woman was letting certain people take breakfast items out and other people weren't allowed. And, you know, you don't do that to someone at four o'clock in the morning on the morning of an Ironman. But I learned things, you know, Airbnb, how to put your own bike together, how to take your own bike apart. Lots of little lessons. Now, that's a lesson I think I need to learn is how to take my bike apart and put it together. Hashtag goes for 2023. Amy, tell us, lesson you learned. Uh, yeah, I honestly, I totally agree with um, Vince in having fun is critical um smiling taking it all in because it, it's such a magical experience um or it can be um the other thing i i learned and and i think is very important is yeah we're a lot us triathletes going through this process meaning it's a lot of time it's a lot of focus it's a lot of storytelling it's a lot like we're just a lot so just remembering to thank all those uh, all those people that are helping you all along the way, I think is just something that I think they appreciate and and hopefully will continue to support us as we as we go through this journey. Coaches included, family, colleagues at work, friends, and so on. You know, the friends that you haven't seen in months because you're training. It's a lot. So that was a big lesson for me. It is because Ironman is, um, or training for long distances will take you away from your family and friends. And so showing that gratitude towards them just in general is important. So I like that, uh, Amy, Natalie. Um, yeah, so I've learned how to triage baby. Um, so when like I'm racing, I have a I have not really a race plan. It's more of a race vibe that we go over with Maria. And it's like, this is kind of what we're going to aim for. But I don't really, I, I like to go a lot on how I'm feeling and not just the numbers I'm seeing on my watch. So when I start to feel crappy um, and a bike, especially on the run, um, I, I have to check in with myself, um, either salt, goo, water, all of it, all of it in that order, repeat, I don't know. Um, actually, during the world championships, by mile six on the run, I was cramped. I was done. I stopped at one point, both legs, awful. So I just, I had a little salt thing, and I would do it every two minutes. Anytime I started to see that I'd have water, coke, all of it. So it's just checking in with myself and force feeding to make sure that I can make it to the finish line because that's all that matters and to stay healthy. I think everyone needs to pick up uh, your uh, philosophy, Natalie, is coming to the race with a race vibe. Yeah, because <laughs> it's not going to work out. It's, it, the plan that you set out, most likely something's going to go wrong. So you just need to keep going. And like they said before, have fun with it and check in with yourself and make sure you're feeling okay. I love it. Mr. John Manzione. Yes. <clears throat> so definitely the um, having a plan and a coach that you trust 
a plan that you trust going into a race with a plan and knowing your pace are all amazing things. But my A race this year was the Atlantic City Half Marathon. And we went in there with a good mindset. And I always say we because it's me and Zach and and my family. Um, we went in there with a good mindset and and was training hard. And in the warm-up, I tripped on a nail coming out of the boardwalk and kind of locked out my knee. I knew something was up, but I decided to start the race anyway. And for the first three miles, I was holding that pace. Mile four, a little bit slower. And that's when I text my wife, I think something's up. So I remember Maria in a newsletter knowing mental pain from real pain and knowing when to hold them and when to fold them. So if that could be a piece of advice is knowing when to stop and knowing when to press on. And I did press on for almost six miles with a torn meniscus and then just bowed out and uh, headed home. So the, the first DNF, it stinks for sure. It's very emotional. Um, but tomorrow I see the orthopedic and hopefully we'll be back at it. And uh, I can only, well, I, I can't imagine I've been in a place where I've had to pull myself out of a race and it happens, but you did push until you couldn't do it anymore. And the thing that you did use was wisdom, wisdom to know when to stop so that something further along wouldn't happen that could take you out of the game, period. And so we are just wishing you the best as you go to your doctor's appointment tomorrow and that you'll be able to recover quickly, have a speedy recovery to be able to go after your goals in 2023. And so it, DNFs happen. And I just want to encourage those of you who've had DNFs, it happens, but it's not the end of the world. It may be the end of the moment in that day, but it's not the end of the world. And if you get back up again, how resilient are you to keep trying and to keep going and to keep pressing? And sometimes those are the stronger people because people who always quote unquote finish and haven't learned, i.e. made a mistake or DNF'd, do they really understand what it means to like move forward? I'm not saying that you have to, but just giving some perspective here, because sometimes we look at quote unquote DNF's as failures. And I think that they're learning opportunities. Um, to come back and do it again differently and to push your way forward. And it's about resilience and overcoming what might've seemed like a failure. So I applaud you for using wisdom. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Griff, tell us about, give it to us. So some of it, people have already said, have a plan have a coach. Everybody deserves to have a coach, right? It doesn't really matter how fast you are. You deserve to have a coach. Um, the triage part, I think, was really important for me. I've had a couple of nationals races where things have gone badly, like my bike stops shifting. And it's like, okay, so I'm not, I'm not following the plan. And like Natalie, I have to figure something out and figuring it out 
doesn't mean I'm going to stop. It just means I'm going to do a big year or I'm going to do a small year and I'm going to like do the best I can. But the last triage was doing nationals this year and unbeknownst to me, I didn't really know everything that was quite wrong with me. And so I'm working through this race and my power targets are way off. And I'm like, I have a plan. I know what the power targets are. And I'm like, yeah, my heart rate is way out of range. And, you know, I'm a scientist. I want to follow the numbers. I want to follow the plan. And I, and it became clear following the plan would be a really bad idea. And then I get to the run and things are going really badly. And probably the most important thing that I've learned in being able to triage is all of the mental skills training, which who even knew that was a thing, right? That's a really big thing because you have to have some way to figure out what to do when things are going really badly and your pace is nowhere near what you want it to be. And you just have to choose whether to keep going or in um, John's case, yeah, no, right? He's injured. At some point, you can't do that. But you, if it's just hard because things are going badly, I that's a that's a mental thing that I've had to learn how to get through. So anyway, all those things. Thank you for sharing. Um, mental, mental fortitude and mental triage is a real thing. So thank God for good coaches who send you guys newsletters that gives you guys all of these options and how to decide, is this mental? Is this physical? And being able to choose the wisdom to decide in between. Um, Clarissa. So one thing that I've learned, especially this year, is that you need to believe in yourself. And you need to surround yourself with people that believe in you, in, in you as well. I just recently did the Transpecos Ultra multi-stage race. And I didn't start panicking till maybe two weeks before when I finally realized, oh, I need to run seven days in a row x amount of miles wait a minute I don't think I've, I've done the long distances in a row I don't think I'm ready and so you know the race is getting closer friends are telling me are you ready you're gonna do great you're gonna do awesome and I was like oh my gosh everyone believes in me everyone believes in me and I was nervous I wasn't you know believing in myself and it's not until you get thrown into <laughs> to the race that you realize, oh, gosh, I'm on my own. I'm my cheerleader. I don't have a crew. I don't have, you know, I, I just, there, there's these new, there's these participants. I don't know who they are. I've just learned their names. But I need to believe in myself because I've got to get through these stages. And I know it's not going to be easy, but I've done the training. I can do this. And you're in the back of my head, okay, Maria believes in me. My friends believe in me. I can do this. And I'll tell you just a little bit of my background. When I was in elementary school, I tried out for the, the track. I didn't make it. I, I tried out for uh, volleyball. I didn't make it. Middle school, same thing. I wasn't an athlete in, during school. And it wasn't until later on that I decided to do this sport. So Anybody can do it. Anybody can, can do it. You just have to ha believe in yourself, 
have somebody who believes in your in you as well and stick to the plan stick to the training and you'll get there i believe in you i love thank it thank you yes no believing that confidence to believe in yourself and it's easier to say it than to actually do it sometimes especially if you have a background where you hadn't been always told nice things and so when you get into this sport, remember to treat yourself well and to believe that you can do it because why do it if you don't believe in yourself? So I'm glad you learned that lesson and thank you for sharing so that it can help someone else. And I think last but not least, Vince. No, I went. I went first. Oh, you did? Did we do everybody? Yeah. Wow, we're knocking them out. Okay, so we've come close to time. We're, we're, we're a little over time, but I think that it was so important and we won't do rapid fire this time just because we have had such good information to absorb and we don't want to over do overkill, but we got to do this again, Maria. So I hope that we are able to kind of do this again because these stories were good and it's easy to get lost into everyone's story because there's so many good stories and we only, um, I feel like we grow when we hear someone else's story because we can hear from their lived experience and not make the same mistake. And so that's the whole premise of Tribe Beginners Like is to encourage people's stories and to hear their stories and to be inspired by their testimonies and hopefully to either do the things that worked for them and don't do the things that did not work for them. And so as we're continuing to listen, thank you all for sharing your stories and um, yeah, I think we have a question. Let me see if we can get um, a question asked. Um, what is the best thing? And this will be quote unquote our rapid fire. So maybe we will look at me. I'm all over the place. It's the evening. It's all, I'm all out of character. That's what No Limits does to me. It gets me all out of character. So we'll do one quick rapid fire. And that question will be, what is the best thing about the first time at your finish line? crossing the finish line for the first time. What is the best thing? Rapid fire. I am going to call out names and then you're going to go. And this time I'm going to go in order as they are on my paper. So I won't forget. Vince, you're up. Just the accomplishment. The fact that I just did something that maybe less than 3% of the world has ever done. And um, I did all this training and to get to this moment and now I get to relish in it. That's right. Less than 3%. You forget these numbers. How, even if you just, even if you just told a finish line, you are a part of pretty much the top 1% of the world. Come through 1%ers and 3%ers. Come on. All right. Uh, Griff, you're up. I'd say the accomplishment followed closely by beer, coffee, food. Right. So I'm, I'm about, Oh, good. I can stop drinking slushy things and slurping down gels and I get to eat real food again. So that's exciting. It's all about those priorities. Clarissa. <laughs> like I told you, it was, it was, it was seven days of just running the last day. It was 56 miles. It was, I think two fifteen, two thirty in the morning. I was high on caffeine because I didn't want food anymore. So I was just taking caffeine. And I remember the finish line was up this little hill. 
And I was like, bastards, why would they do this to me? Why, why? And then I just hear two people behind me, like further back. I'm like, oh no, they're not going to pass me. They're not going to pass me at the finish line. I get to the top, I cross the finish line and, and all the volunteers are there clapping and the other athletes that had, had finished already were all clapping. And I remember stopping and my mind was still going hundred miles an hour, but I had stopped. And so the race director goes, Clarissa, do you have anything to say? And I just froze and <laughs> still trying to process everything. <laughs> and then they, they thought, okay, she's got nothing to say. And then after a while I said, yes, I do. And I had to tell them, thank you. But <laughs> I just couldn't process that I had just finished the race. Like I couldn't believe it. I was in shock. Like that's it. <laughs> And that was 168 miles over six days. Is that correct? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So let me just give you guys the quick stages real quick. So this particular race is called Trans Pecos Ultra. And uh, it's six stages in the big, uh, at Big Band Ranch. Um, Stage one is six miles. Stage two is 26 miles. Stage three is 26 miles. Stage four is 26 miles, stage five is 26 miles, and stage six is 56 miles. Mm. Okay. I would have froze too. (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. John. I think first time finish line is uh, seeing the kids and the expression on their faces that dad did it all that time and they got to see the icing and that's really what it is (laughs) come on you're the hero hero come on dad i love it amy i love the rush the adrenaline the the feeling it's just you know it really just feels so freaking good Finish line feels, it feels good. Okay, (laughs) Natalie. I mean, crossing the finish line is fantastic, but my favorite part is always, like once I shower and then I get to the bar, I drink a mimosa, I have a burger and I post a cute picture with my medal. (laughs) And speaking of which, she does have a cute picture with her medal. (laughs) But come on, when you're, you're 24, <laughs> you definitely know how your your angles because you come for the vibes. That's it. <laughs> Megan Bell. That possibly an unpopular opinion, but no, when I get across the finish line in different races, it's definitely where's the diet coke? In a can, ice cold every time. It's all I want. <laughs> That's all you shall get. Look, you get what you want and you should have somebody there with your, uh, with your uh, Coke, with your cooler so that it is ready for you. Thank you all so much for sharing with us. Um, Like we often say, whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win. Before we go, we have a special message. And I have to just share from personal experience. My first time of doing the resolution challenge was last year. And I had this saying all year this year, I was like, there's no limits when you're on point. And so no limit resolution challenge changed. um, I think the trajectory of 
the course of my um, season this year. It really helped to build my confidence coming off of COVID. And I just needed something to get me going when I had the lowest of energy. And, you know, when you're affected physically, um, that kind of mentally plays with you a little bit and you just need something to boost that confidence. And this particular resolution challenge, Okay, so I know you guys who've listened be like, Mashonda, you're not competitive, but I really am. And I really like it when there's prizes associated with it. So listen, if you like prizes and you like working out and it's not hard workouts, they're really simple workouts. They're little things. 15 minutes will get you a check. And if you work out seven days in a row, I think you get a check for just working out every day and clock, oh, sorry, 30 minutes, 30 minutes a day, you get an extra check. And then at the end of the week, you get ranked based off of what you've accomplished. Come on. It's the easiest thing to do to kind of get yourself back into a groove. And if you are um, wanting some new goals to try something new and also to try out if you want to be coached, it's a great opportunity to give it a try. And so I want Maria to kind of come on and give her spill. I just know it really helped change my life. I'm doing it again this year and I would love to do the resolution challenge with you. So please sign up. It benefits girls on the run. So, okay, that's just my little spill. Okay, Maria, take it away. I think you covered it all, Mashanda. I mean, our resolution challenge is really designed for people who are starting new. So we've got lots of beginner resources. And then it's also really good for people who are looking to get into a routine. If they've fallen off, reset their year, you know, in your case, Mashana getting COVID and figuring out how to get back on the track. Because if you've gotten COVID by now, uh, we're starting to get to the point of who hasn't, right? Uh, you know, it kind of wrecks havoc with your life for for a while. It's it's not a fun experience. Uh, so so it's good for that. But I think for me, the biggest thing is, you know, we want to give you the gift of sport, but we also want you via your entry fee to give the gift of sport to these young girls. Um, you know, as a young woman, as a young girl, uh, running really saved my life. Really, it was crew, but running as part of rowing really saved me from some really... Um, horrible, horribly destructive teenage behaviors. Um, so for me, it's kind of, uh, I watch what the coaches and this organization does for the young girls and um, it's life-changing. Um, sport for me has revolutionized my life. Uh, and that's all I kind of want it to do for everybody else. <laughs> uh, I want to just make sport. Um, it's not just entertainment. It's not just fun. It's not just a hobby. It's really life enriching. Um, whether you're competitive, getting those points or whether it's just about like, Hey man, I want to, I want to feel good. I want to show my kids I can do this, wh whatever it is. So I think resolution challenge has a lot of that. And we have some great sponsors again, um, who have given us lots of really great prizes, um, and lots of swag. Everybody gets swag, uh, top points getters gets prizes. So, um, we're, we're hoping you, you join us. Uh, you can find information on our site, at nolimitsendurance.com. Uh, we have some information there about the resolution challenge, or you can reach out to me, Maria at nolimitsendurance.com. Uh, and I'm happy to answer any questions you might have um, about that. But I also, uh, while I have the mic, Mishkanda, I hope you won't mind. I just want to give like a huge shout out to my amazingly awesome team. Um, I am sitting here listening to these stories and knowing, looking at the other names of the people who are on this call, like, oh, we have such a good story. 
do. I wish we could have 25 stories, uh, but obviously it would take a lot of time to do that. But I just love every single one of you um, and hearing your stories and seeing your Metal Mondays that we do. And uh, it really just keeps me motivated as well, um, you know, because by now we know on our team, we, we say a lot, motivation is crap because it is right. Like, it, you know, if, if you think about it, most days when you wake up, are you motivated? Not really. <laughs> it's not like, yeah, I, gotta, I can't wait to get into this 60 degree cool water or whatever it is. You know, uh, most of us need a little tug, but we're determined. And I think that's when I listen to all these stories, like I just hear people who are determined to figure it out, to get it done to set big goals, whatever they might be. And what's cool too about a lot of these stories is a lot of you have done a variety of different things and you're trying new stuff. So always trying new stuff, keeping that beginner mindset, um, I think keeps the sport fun. Like if you're constantly keeping that be beginner mindset, like what will this be like? What, what, do I, what will I have to learn here? I think it keeps sport fun. Um, and I also want to give big shout out to, to John and Megan, both willing to talk about DNF, because I think it's treated like a dirty word, like, this shit, like, you know, like when somebody has cancer, right? Like, oh, they had a DNF, you know, like, dude, it's not a stigma, you know, like it's, it's shit that happens. Like you race long enough, you race hard enough, you're going to DNF. It's not an if, it's a when, and hopefully it doesn't end in a meniscus tear because that does suck. But, you know, you know, but you're either going to DNF because you get timed out or your body times out or something happens. And I don't think there's any shame in it. I don't think there's any shame in setting a goal that's so big, you might not get it. Because if you set a goal that you can get, that you know, like I I'm going to definitely finish this thing. It's like a grocery list. Like you're going to go get some bread and milk, right? Like, but a goal that you might not achieve, dude, that's a real goal. Um, granted, we like to help you prevent failure. <laughs> like, I don't want you to get that DNF. But in my vein, it's all, in my view, excuse me, it's only a failure if you don't get up and try again. Like if you don't get up and do it again, then you have failed. But if you get up and you try it again, whether it's the same exact race or a similar race or whatever it is, you're not failing. You know, like Megan, your story, like you're just learning, like you're figuring stuff out, like believing in yourself and, and knowing like, dude, I'm getting in that 115 line next time. And if you don't, we're coming for you. Like that's it. It's a 115 line. Um, that's it. You know, uh, anyway, I really went off tangent there, but I want to thank all of you guys for coming on and sharing your, Mashonda's like, yeah, no shit, you always do. Uh, but I just want to thank all of you guys for coming on uh, and sharing your stories. Cause I know it, uh, I know some of you I prodded too. So sorry about that, but <laughs> like, poop, poop, why don't you come and talk to us? But I think it, uh, it takes a lot to share your stories, but I think people get a lot out of hearing from, from other athletes who are just like us. You know, we hear the pro athlete stories all the time and they're amazing, but sometimes it's hard to like relate to running five minute miles. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, well, well, I'll just go do something else then. Uh, so I think sometimes it's good to hear from, from people just like us, uh, you know, so thanks for sharing. Well, this was great. And Maria, you did fine. And thank you for sharing what you did share, because whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win. I mean, to get out there takes courage. It just does. And so I love that. Okay. Be sure to like, post, retweet, reshare this podcast. Leave us comments. I know we have a bunch of new listeners. Thank you, No Limit Endurance. And uh, we're just so excited to have you. And be sure to tune in on Wednesdays. Our podcast drops on Wednesdays. And we just look forward to continuing to share. I'm Ashonda and we're out. Peace. 
Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We need your help so we can continue to try at TBL. So for more information on where you can find and subscribe to this podcast, visit www.trybeginnersluck.com. And don't forget, whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win.